to Navigating Change, the education podcast from Teibel Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here once again with Howard Teibel. Howard, how are you? Doing great, Pete. It's been uh, it's been quite a travel week. And and by the way, as you probably know, but not most listeners don't know, I just came back from a ten day trip in Israel, and that was uh, more than eye opening. And you know something I should have done a long time ago. But you know what? Even at fifty six years old, it's good to finally get to Israel. Well, I'm I am much chagrined to note that you did no live podcasting from Israel. We can take Ooh. that offline, but yeah. just know that and, you were yeah. missed. Yeah, I hear you. Um, We are taking on student success on the show today with some pretty big questions. How do we transform our institutions and learning models to meet the needs of tomorrow's students? We have a fantastic guest to join us, experienced in just this sort of change. But before we dive in, head over to tybalink.com to learn more about our work in education. You can subscribe to the show for free. Just click the blue button, and we will let you know each time a new episode is released. And I should say, as a technical addendum, any Android users out there, Google Play has just announced uh, support for a podcast directory. So if you're on Android and you use Google Play, you can find us. We were a launch partner in the Google Play store. So just do a search for Navigating Change. You should find us right there. Android users rejoice. (laughs) Jose Bowen currently serves as the 11th president of Goucher College in Baltimore, Maryland. Currently is likely the most important word in that sentence, given the long and winding road President Bowen has taken to land at Goucher. His academic credits extend back decades as an educator, program director, and dean. He is an author promoting technological transformation in the classroom in his book, Teaching Naked. And to say he's an accomplished musician is a further understatement. He plays with jazz greats and has composed a Pulitzer-nominated symphony. Dr. Bowen, welcome to Navigating Change. Hi, glad to be here. So, Pete, you want me to dive in? Because I got a question. I don't even know what we're going to talk about today. That's good. I I, I like when that happens. I know. I feel like with all this music stuff, this could go way off the rails. Oh, I would actually like to focus on the music, but maybe that's for another podcast, Dr. Bowen. So, just I mentioned that I had just finished watching Beethoven as the business uh, TED Talk that you gave, and I was thinking about this in the context of when you talk about music, it is such a clear example uh, as you paint a picture around disruption and how disruption in the story that you told, and we're going to make it available for others to watch this on our website, as a, as a mechanism of demonstrating innovation. And when I think about higher education, it's clear also when I look at Goucher College's website, the about page, and the stories that you tell, it's really about breaking down silos. So I'd love to have you start off by talking a little bit about how did you go about or how are you going about breaking down some of those academic and administrative silos to better meet the needs of the students where they are versus where we want them to be? Because I, when I look at this, I think that you are you are representing what students are interested in, and it's cross-disciplinary, but I think most people are struggling with this. And I know the people that we're working with have these questions. How do we break down these silos? So I'd love to, it, it's, it's a big question, but I'd love to tackle that any way you think is the best way to dive in. Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. So, you know, stop me in a half an hour. Whatever <laughs> <laughs> you want. Uh, so, you know, as with a lot of these complex, naughty problems, you know, it's all of the above. There's no one magic bullet. You have to do a lot of things simultaneously. Uh, so, you know, the first thing you have to do is establish trust yes. um, with faculty, with students. And so that, you know, to me, is connected to transparency. Um, so you've got to show everything, the good, the bad and the ugly. You've got to be out there talking about the issues. Um, 
you know, related but separate is, is what I call, you know, you, know you, have to, you have to light the burning platform. Um, you have to demonstrate to people that the status quo isn't going to work, that you know, there is a problem that has to be fixed. That's, that's, you know, again, those of us who read the paper in higher education kind of know that. But, uh, you know, there are plenty of people who've been doing what they're doing and their classes are full and they see what's the problem. Uh, so, so you've got to present the institutional picture, the whole picture. Um, what's the problem? You know, for me, that focuses on, you know, the number of students uh, who can actually pay uh, is, a, is a finite number, right? And we can actually find right. out that number uh, if, if the, my consultants are, are right. It's about five and a half thousand students a year with SATs over 1,200 who can pay full freight. Um, that's not a big number. And no, it's not. Those students have choices. And, and, you know, we'd all love to give it away for free and have everybody come for free. But the truth is, you know, we all need someone to pay um, or almost all of us need someone to pay. So, you know, how do you attract those students? Um, how do you provide uh, value? And it's a competitive marketplace. Um, so, so, you know, setting the stage for that, building trust um, you know, for that there, there has to be a case for change. And then the, the third piece or fourth piece for me is, um, you know, I always start by talking about students. Uh, so we do, we are a student-focused institution, and we talk about that all the time. That's a much easier place to start than, you know, hey, you're doing something wrong, or we got to change that. Um, is, is what we're doing the, the best for students? Because everybody shares that interest in students. So for students, the key to me is that you know, more and more of our students are navigating college for the first time, their first generation. They don't have parents they can ask. We generally don't understand how, how complex and non-transparent college is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I have lots of stories about my, my, my daughter who finished college a couple of years ago. Um, but she would call me when I was a dean and she'd ask me questions and I'd think, Wow, I thought that was obvious. And so, you know, my favorites include, you know, why do professors only assign the odd numbered problems in math? I mean, really <laughs> that's, that's actually a very good question we have so around I, here. You know, so I say, well, you know, maybe the answers to the even numbered ones are in the back, or you know, maybe they just want to give you half as many problems to do, because there's always extras. And, and she, and there's this silence, and she says, no, 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 tell me the real reason. You know, I guess some sort of conspiracy. I mean, it's just, it's just not obvious. <laughs> that's um, right. My other favorite story is, which is really relevant to this, is to student success is, uh, so, you know, I need this class. I'm a senior. Uh, I, I didn't get into the class. The semester started, you know, or how, how do I, I got I to have this class to graduate. What do I do? And so this is, of course, happening on text. And so I text back. I said, well, you know, you, you email the professor and you say, you know, and then I get this text back. It says, and say what? Right. You know, so on the one hand, you know, we're all we're all inundated with all of these emails from students asking us outrageous questions. But again, for some students, it's not obvious um, that you need you can go to ask a professor to get into a class that you need for graduation. So, uh, you know, figuring out what are the gaps in students' information, what's the not, you know, what do they not know, and that the answer is almost everything about um, how college works. So. So that's the approach. You know, it's about integrating services. It's about meeting students where they are. Yes. Uh, and understanding that, that, you know, we live here. This is obvious to us. You know, we're, exactly. we're we forget We forget once we're experts or, or we're comfortable what it is to be a beginner. Well, and also the truth is that, you know, faculty are weird, right? We, we like school so much we're still here. I mean, 
That's yeah. weird. You know, most so so you know we never left, and also you know we learned in spite of whatever methods were used. You know, we were we were internally motivated. We liked our subject, whatever. That's just not normal. So well, you know, it's interesting. I want to raise something with you that you started with as you as you began to lay out some of the fundamentals, and you started with trust, and then you spoke to transparency. And I just came back from uh, a two-day helping a school and helping the community looking at how they're going to embrace the change that the president is bringing. And he basically showed up uh, when he first came to the school, a public institution, and he said, we're going to blow up the departments. And after people's jaw dropped, because they didn't know what, understand what that meant, they are going through a, a, a process that's unfolding but doesn't have enough detail yet for faculty, which is moving from colleges and departments to clusters. And it's a, it's a model that that is being implemented in different ways, in different structures, and in one breath, and I completely get it, the faculty are going a little bit crazy with this because they want to understand where they're going to land. So when you came on to Goucher, and I look at, for example, your About page, and you talk about learn without limits, free to wander and wonder, more than a major, invent your future. I can tell you that this other president, when he showed up, did not understand initially, and this is true for most of us, how big the the you know being stuck we were in the old way of doing business and how much bigger the issue was that he needed to tackle so i'm curious what was it like for you when you first came to goucher how much of what we're looking at here around goucher is really a stepping back and and this wake up call or did you walk in and you're continuing something my sense is you're bringing a, you brought a new level of energy and you had to look at and get people engaged in this question of one of the brutal facts with a positive vision so did it look very different before you were there well, yes and no. I mean, the you know, I always say the, the the advantage of being a musician is that you know, especially a pianist, is that I've spent my whole life, you know, listening to other people and making them sound better. That's really what I do for a living, right? Yeah. You know, I listen yeah. to the drummer and the saxophonist, and I say, how can I, you know, add a little something here? How can I goose it there? What, you know? But ultimately, my job is not to be noticed, but to make the whole ensemble sound better. So, you know, I listened a lot and figured out what the strengths of the institution were and, and you know, tried to tie in there. Uh, but it is true that, you know, I certainly suggested lots of things and I, I certainly made the case for, for, for change. But I will, there's, there's, a, there's a big caveat here. Uh, we're going through this same process. We're actually, we're, we're, we're almost to the finish line. We've announced our, we're going from 33 departments uh, to 10 or 11 centers. So, but the key is that I didn't touch the details, right? As the president, uh, I said, you know, do we need, we need to examine all of our stuff? Do we need majors? Uh, do we need these majors? Do we need credits? Do we need semesters? Do we need, you know, the course hour to be the way that, you know, I mean, all of the stuff that we take as sacred, um, starting one time a year, all of that sort of stuff. Um, what, what of it really is essential for student learning and which of it is just, you know, kind of stuff that we do. And so, but then I let faculty figure out which of those things were important. You know, the provost certainly decided, well, you know, the centers was an important, you know, what you called clusters, um, that that was an important reorganization because we had so many chairs uh, and we were just, we had redundancy, right? We had, we had 33 people in charge of 33 units and we could have 10. Could we in fact do something new and innovative and, and something we'd like 
um, that was innovative, that was interdisciplinary and based in a different model. Um, but the key is I then stepped away, right? I said, so, you know, here are the parameters. We were doing a new curriculum as well. I said, so, you know, nobody likes the old curriculum. Nobody thinks this is really serving students. Um, so, you know, I'll let you figure it out. But you have to, but there are some parameters. It can't be more expensive. Uh, it can't make it harder for students to double major. Uh, it has to have some grounding in what students want. It has to be true to our values. You know, it has to be liberal arts, it ha you know, for in our case. So, you know, I, I set out the very, very broad parameters of what right. it needed to look like. But then I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not even going to, the, going to go to the meetings. I'm not going to be involved in any way. Um, you know, I let the provost handle all that. And so now I've got two proposals, um, one for new curriculum and one for a uh, new organization of departments into centers, you know, both of which came through a faculty process um, where faculty, in fact, decided to do it. They elected an ad hoc committee. Um, they voted using their own procedures. So I've stepped way back from that and right. let that happen. Uh, but, you know, so it's a, it's a funny push-pull. I think you have to be the 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 advocate for change, uh, the advocate, and you have to allow for failure, which is a key part we can come back to. There you uh, go. But then you have to, it's, you have to be willing to say, you know, I'm not sure what you're going to come up with. And in fact, about two months ago, we had a big shift in the thinking about the curriculum, uh, and so you know, one of the trustees asked me, well, what what happened to the big questions? I said they went away. It was a great idea, but that was not where it ended up. See, that's the pivot that, you know, I remember you, it's almost like you were, you were helping lead or leading these conversations that we're in because this idea of recognizing it's not about getting it right. It's about, it's about experimenting uh, with the information we have and then getting in there. And when we see something's not working or if it fails, uh, that we pivot and we focus on what we can do. And it sounds like that's the mindset you keep, you keep bringing and you step back. The, the thing that strikes me about it, and because this is so top of mind for me, having been in front of during the three open workshops and then a town hall uh, just yesterday is this idea of there's a whole spectrum of reactions to this by the faculty, some of whom who are feeling like it's moving too slowly all the way to people that have no interest in this and feel like you're betting the farm on something that you really should go a little more slowly. So how how did you and your leadership, the provost, navigate that whole range of reactions be, and, and find a way to continue to build the trust with the majority of folks? So, yeah, so the first thing is, you know, I, I, there are various, you know, models of management, you know, a third, a third, a third. You're always going to have your early adopters and you're going to always have a percentage of people who over my dead body, it's never going to happen. So you're really working to to convince the middle. Um, and, and it is convinced. I mean, in an academic setting, you know, you, there's nothing I can do. I, I don't actually have any power. Uh, you know, I have to be able to convince. I love, I love when presidents actually admit that. Yeah. <laughs> there's such freedom in that, isn't there? There is. And I say you have no power. I, I really, I, I don't teach the classes, I don't mow the lawn, I don't, you know, I don't do any of that stuff. And so um, ultimately, if people want to undermine, especially with student success, right, if people want to undermine the project, they got a million ways to do it. Uh, so if people do not believe that, you know, getting students to graduation on time, uh, retaining the students that we have is the right thing to do, it's hopeless. 
you know, you can, you can blame the marketing department all you want, just bring me better students. But if you don't treat the ones you have well, you're never going to get more students because parents ask about retention. So, you know, you've got to convince people that, that the, the overall thing is, is, is worth saving and worth uh, improving. But ultimately, you got to recognize that without the power of persuasion, you got zip. So, uh, so you know, that's the, the, that's the, the first piece of that. And so this, but the second piece, though, as I say, so as I'm, you know, I'm working, I'm working to get the, the, the kind of neutral middle, um, is the thing about failure. So, I, you know, I said all over all year long, I said, look, this is curriculum 1.0. I said, I don't, you know, I, I don't know, you know, here's the things I want. You'll do what you want. Um, but the more important thing is that we establish a process so that we can change the curriculum more often. That you know, it, it is it is like okay, we just launched the iPhone. Let's all let's have a party. Let's you know slap ourselves on the back. But by the way, Samsung is just going to announce something in a week. So how's the iPhone two coming? And that's not our model. That's 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 the model for Silicon Valley. But higher ed has had the model. You know, we are the keepers of tradition. Uh, it's it, we dress up like it's the Middle Ages once a year, and we've not had the change very often. So let's make sure it's really right. Let's make sure the curriculum is just perfect before we roll it out and make sure everybody. And you know, that, it, it's a wonderful thing that we want to make sure everybody has its place and that um, it's really going to be right. And think about how the the psychology of that. Right when I when I write a book, that's forever. I don't I don't want to slap that together. Uh, I'm not worried about the second edition of my book. I, that's not. There's not going to be one. Uh, I am. I want to get it absolutely right. So that's the mindset and the psychology, and it's a good one for for publishing a book. But it isn't going to work for curriculum uh, because we now live in a world that's changing very, very rapidly, and so we have to be more reactive. Uh, we have to be out in front, and we have more competition, and so. The sense that you know this is curriculum 1.0, we'll come back and revise it almost immediately. Start working on the next edition. That that's an administrative challenge, but it shouldn't be a challenge for faculty. I always say, I'm the curator of risk. My job is to manage how much risk, and my job is also to manage the bureaucracy. So if we, if it turns out we need four curricula for four different years of students, that's my problem. You know, that's uh, a nightmare. But it's really a bureaucratic administrative problem. Um, if it's what's right for the students, we should do it. And so, yeah. uh, but, but creating those kinds of flexible, nimble systems. I talk every day about how do we become more nimble? So and, and and what are you discovering? How is that playing out in terms of are you seeing are you seeing a in a willingness to engage in that conversation about being nimble because it requires taking a risk and it requires people stepping outside their comfort zone and thinking different, thinking themselves more as an innovator than somebody holding the status quo. So how is that going? So, so the first thing is actually I think that the key step is to think of yourself as, as, as an integrator, as part of the team. Right. Being a faculty member is a very solitary business. In fact, I often say, you know, the, the prerequisite to being a faculty member is five years of solitary confinement. So, you know, those of us who withstood that solitary time in the library, you know, I'm one of those people. I like being alone. <laughs> you, you know, give give me a couple of good books uh, in a few hours. and I'm happy. So, you know, and, and there's a sense to think, well, you know, my courses, my teaching, my students, um, and the shift to our teaching, our students, is what really matters. So we've talked a lot here about how skills are the new canon. 
Individual majors don't matter. I've, I've presented a lot of information to the faculty. I, I always show the faculty what I tell parents. I say, because this is what works with parents. We're a liberal arts college. If I try to sell them an individual major and say, well, look, you need to have a major in X or Y, I probably don't have it. So what I'm selling is all of our majors together, which means if I'm going to really sell, it doesn't matter if you're a philosophy or a physics major, then there has to be some integration of skills that ultimately all of our students need to be able to write, all of our students need to be able to think. And while we talk about that, we've not really been able to demonstrate that we have an integrated product, an integrated curriculum, that every single student can do certain things. That's, you know, that's my, that has been my big question around this whole conversation, which is, you know, so much that you're asking of when, when you're developing these new curricula is, is around how you think about uh, an evolving definition of student success. And that, that very much is a philosophical sort of institution-wide uh, uh, discussion, right? What does it mean to, to assess students? What does it mean to be innovative in the classroom? What does it mean to be engaging and to retain the students that we want. How have you seen these measures of student success evolve? And, and is there something that we're not thinking about that you're planning for, for tomorrow's university or tomorrow's successful student? Sure. So, I mean, the first thing is, you know, you, you are what you assess, right? You know, if you don't know what's happening, then you just don't know. And so if you want to say our students are learning to think critically or write or do something, then you've got to say, well, how are we going to measure that? How are we going to know that, you know, and it can't just be, well, they, they pass a couple of courses. Uh, so uh, we've talked a lot about this. We've just redone the, the course evaluations, which is a small piece of this this year. Um, but when I got here, I said, well, what are we going to, you know, so we survey our students all the time. What are we surveying? What's, what really makes the most strategic sense? Um, so we give all of our students, uh, so we, we survey, we test grit, uh, tolerance for ambiguity, cultural sensitivity. Um, then I want to know if these things are changing. And then if I want to know how are they changing, are they changing because of classrooms or roommate selection? Um, those, are, those are all, you know, how the, how the pieces go together. Um, we did a, we did a th we got three-year writing was pretty easy because everybody agrees that writing is an essential skill. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, we have a new curriculum for that. Uh, but now we have to, again, we have to assess it. We, we need e-portfolios. Uh, we need a, a common writing rubric. Um, but, but really, the, the, all of those things speak to integration across the units, that it can't just be, well, my class does this and your class can do whatever the hell you want. There has to be some sense of, you know, if you're teaching after me, you need to build on the skills that I'm teaching. Um, is the second year more complex and is the third year more complex still? So maybe choice, which has been a key part of American higher education, is less important than progression. That's are advancing for each year. That's a mindset change. Yes, it is. Huge. And huge both on behalf of the students and the faculty. I mean, we've been dealing with this at my own institution, and, and it's not just that that we're presenting a logical, pragmatic uh, you know, approach to progression, but it's that, wait a minute, as a faculty member in the middle, sandwiched between uh, intro and advanced XYZ, now you're telling me I have to adapt to some other faculty member? That's I, I, I'm really okay with approaching this from a, a practical sort of theoretical uh, you know standpoint but when you're now you're telling me to change my change the way I teach that's much harder to embrace not only where I teach 
or what I teach, but that the structure of what I call myself, you know, this idea of moving from departments to centers or departments to clusters, it seems to me, Jose, that the key thing that we often overlook, because this is the hardest thing to do, it's one thing to say we want to be disciplinary, interdisciplinary. It's another thing to ignore the structures in place that people sort of fall back on as a way to sort of be insulated. And I think we under we underestimate how much these structures are part of the reason we're inhibited uh, in terms of working across the aisle. No, I mean, we call them disciplines for a reason. I mean, they are disciplining. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they are ways of thinking and they provide structure and they provide ways to, to understand knowledge. But they are also limiting. So, but you know, a big piece of this though is is real real faculty anxiety. Yes, there is. This is this has become a very stressful job. Um, our future is uncertain, and so you know the the downside of trust and transparency is that people say, "Oh my gosh, you know, my my job is at risk." And I say, "Well, all of our jobs are. I mean, I don't. You know, we're not all going to survive. You know, if if the number of students in college continues to fall as it has the last two years, right? There won't be enough students to go around. There's certainly not enough pay students to go around. That means that the only way we stay in business is by putting somebody else out of business. Yes, that's uh, yeah, that's icky. You know, we don't we're not you don't like that. We want to all be friends and all have everybody have success. All right, so I have two closing questions for you. First is, are you always this optimistic? This is optimistic. Yes. <laughs> Sure. Oh, this is this is toned down. This is not. There's another level that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. So when I say optimistic, what I mean by that is, you know, it's like giving this sense that we can do it and it's important to do. And in many ways, that's the role of a president. But I got to tell you, the way you, the way you share the story, uh, from my perspective, get, if I was sitting in your campus as a faculty administrator, a staff person, I would believe fundamentally that you believe not only is it a, is it possible but it's important so so the so the short answer to that one so that was an easy one here's the second one tell us a little bit about i told you i just came back from israel the jazz shabbat service performances 80 performances around the world i am so fascinated by this can you can you just tell us what this is to close this thing out sure it's it's just a it's a, a you know a, i said a I wrote some new prayers and I, you know some new some new tunes. You know, I used it's used the it's traditional liturgy, uh, and I you know six piece band and I, I wrote some um, some new tunes for a few things and I used some traditional tunes in other places and just rewrote rewrote the rhythm and the horn parts around it. But you know, it's not a bad metaphor for what we're doing in the college, right? It is it's doing something new with something you've inherited, and and that is ultimately the what we do. And again, as a jazz musician. You take a risk. If you if you played a beautiful solo last night, that was last night. That's done. Um, I'd rather hear a, a new but solo tonight than have you play the same solo you memorized last night. That's just not acceptable. So you know you take risks, but that's how you keep doing new things. And so uh, that's 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 part of my Jewish tradition. It's part of what I do as a college president too. I love that so much. These lessons of music. I think more of us can step back and and really reflect on the the experience of modulation and improvisation as leadership tools. That is just great. There you go. Uh, thank you so much, Jose Bowen, for for uh, uh, taking your time today uh, to uh, to share your insights with us. Is there any place besides sending people to uh, the school's website? Is there any place you would like to send people to learn more about what you're 
up to at, at Goucher? Or is, is that the best place to go? Yeah, the website's a good place. I mean, I do have a you know, teachingnaked.com website, uh, which has um, some of the other work that I do uh, in pedagogy. I'm very interested in uh, you know, what we know about learning and how we adapt our college classrooms. But certainly, the, the, you know, Goucher is, is trying to put a lot of those things into place. Uh, and and to, to, to be a, a place where I can both stay true to the liberal arts and deliver the jobs of the future uh, to our students. Fantastic message to close us out. Uh, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. And Howard, as always, it's a treat to catch up with you, my friend. It's been too long. Yeah, fantastic. And this this is this has inspired me to get back on the keyboard and do a little more practicing. So go. thank you, Dr. Bowen. On behalf of uh, Jose Bowen and Goucher College and Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright, and we will catch you next week right here on Navigating Change, the education podcast from Teibel, Inc. Mm-hmm.